turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Senator Tim Scott throws his hat into the 2024 ring. For a kid raised in poverty to one day serve in the people's house and maybe the White House. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy meet negotiating the debt ceiling. They know Chuck Schumer is going to try to, to, to run end around whatever deal they negotiate with Joe Biden. Anheuser-Busch offers to buy back cases of expired beer from wholesalers. This is worse than new Coke, old Coke, and it's becoming its own story for the ages. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm Mike Scott. He's running. South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott announcing his entry into the 2024 presidential election on Monday. We live in the land of opportunity. We live in the land where it is absolutely possible for a kid raised in poverty, in a single-parent household, in a small apartment, to one day serve in the people's house, and maybe even the White House. Scott kicked off his campaign with a speech from his alma mater, Charleston Southern University, in his hometown of North Charleston, highlighting his story of coming from poverty to serving Congress, all the while taking jabs at President Biden. Still, some political experts point to the national polling numbers that show that the senator has a steep hill to climb. If he wants to catch up to GOP frontrunners like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Joanna Mosca is a political analyst and joins the Daybreak Insider podcast, saying that while his national polling numbers may be low, it's too soon to count Tim Scott out. I do think that Tim Scott absolutely has a lane. Look, Tim Scott is actually friends with Democrats and Republicans. He has tried to get legislation across the line working with Democrats, whether it was on criminal justice reform or opportunity zones, investing in some of our low-income communities. He's worked across the party line. Make no mistake, he is very conservative. He voted against Obamacare. He is someone who is going to talk about his faith and stand up those values. But in Iowa, I think he differentiates himself because he is someone that both sides like 
and both sides work with. I think he's someone who will turn away from the more toxic or divisive rhetoric and really talk about his faith, his faith in America, and stand out in that lane. I, I remember being in Iowa in the early days of the Obama uh, campaign, and everyone wrote us off. I will not write off Tim Scott. I think he's got a lot of friends, even dating back to his college years, that are going to be there for him. And I think it's an exciting candidacy. Scott joins a growing field of GOP hopefuls currently led by former President Donald Trump. The field also includes talk radio host Larry Elder, former U.N. Ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. Scott's announcement comes just days before the expected announcement from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. As I mentioned, every sign indicates it will be official this week in Florida. We do expect Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be in the race. He'll enter the race officially, you say, based on paperwork to uh, run for the White House. Everything says that. It sounds like Groundhog Day because you right. and I have been talking about it. You at home have been talking about it, but it expects that the paperwork with the Federal Election mm-hmm. Commission goes in this week, then a big public rally the next week. Either way, he's in the race. Right, <laughs> right. It's just, it's been a matter of timing, and people are like, okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's get the show on the road. The heavyweight match, of course, will face him off with former President Donald Trump just down the road in Mar-a-Lago, of course. DeSantis expected, as I said, to file the paperwork, and then perhaps a kickoff rally beginning in Dunedin, where he grew up here in Florida. Brian Cowley, a political analyst, joins the Daybreak Insider and weighs in on the possible matchup between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis for the GOP nomination and tells us it will be an interesting one regardless of who you support. One of the biggest things that uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has going for him as he gets into this duel with Donald Trump is that he can point to five years of accomplishments that conservatives just love. And what he will say is he did it without all the drama. Donald Trump, on the other hand, is beloved by a significant faction of the MAGA movement. And as more and more people enter the race, Tim Scott officially entered the race today. We have several other candidates in the race. Donald Trump is counting on the idea that those folks will split up those Republicans who don't want to see him get another term and that he'll easily win uh, the primaries and the caucuses. Governor DeSantis joined the Salem Podcast Network and says that while he believes the country is heading in the wrong direction, He'll be making an announcement soon. Stay tuned. I think we all understand uh, the country is going in the wrong direction. People see that. When I ran for re-election, the majority of Floridians thought Florida was going in the right direction, and a huge majority thought America was going in the wrong direction. So you see the difference between good governance and what that can do and poor leadership and poor governance. And I would just tell people it doesn't have to be this way. I think Florida showed that there's a path to succeed and to do really big things, and uh, we will have an announcement shortly. The Florida governor also points out how, in his opinion, many corporations are trying to indoctrinate kids, and so he has tried to protect parental rights in his state. We grew up in the 80s and 90s. Not that everything was perfect, but the stuff that was geared towards children was much, much more innocent than the stuff today. And so as a parent, you know, we have a 6, 5, and a 3-year-old, you know, we cringe sometimes if we're flipping channels on just like a cartoon, some of the stuff they're trying to jam down their throats. And, and that's just wrong. Uh, but it just shows you that our society has gone off the rails on some of this stuff. So we need this as a corrective. DeSantis states that rights come from God, not the government. 
and he uses that to guide his policy decisions. What the Founding Fathers did, I think, was unique in human history. They understood that republics throughout history had failed, and they understood that the United States was going to determine whether we really could govern ourselves or not. And core to that conception of how society should be governed is the idea that our rights do not come from the government. They are endowed by God. These are our rights naturally, and government is created by us to protect the rights that we already possess. And if you have that as your starting point, I think you're going to get a lot of policy issues right. I kind of feel like a lot of people nowadays, they assume that the government gives us our rights, and that is not true at all. Many still believe that it will be a showdown between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, and it may be the political face-off of the ages. Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant has switched to emergency diesel generators after losing its external power supply for the seventh time since the Russian invasion began. Daybreak Insider's Charles de Ledesma has the very latest from the ongoing war front in Ukraine. The head of the UN nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, Rafael Grossi, says in a tweet, the nuclear safety situation at the plant is extremely vulnerable. We must agree to protect it now. This situation cannot continue. Grossi appeals for the area to be spared from the fighting between Ukrainian and Russian troops. IAEA staff are deployed at the plant, which is occupied by Russian forces. The plant's six nuclear reactors are protected by a reinforced shelter able to withstand hits. But a disruption in the electrical supply could disable cooling systems essential for the reactor's safety. I'm Charles Stiladesma. On Monday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met with President Biden, trying to hammer out a deal on the debt ceiling. However, while a deal is not yet in the works, McCarthy does say that their conversation was productive. Even President Biden sounded cautiously optimistic, stating that default is not in the cards. We're optimistic we may be able to make some progress because uh, we both agreed that default's not really on the table. We've got to get something done here. President Biden says both political parties must come together to raise the debt ceiling. We both talked about the need for a bipartisan agreement. We have to be in a position where we can sell it to our constituency. House Republicans are in a strong position and are seeking additional spending cuts in the federal budget in exchange for their support to raise the debt ceiling. Meantime, a large sticking point for progressives at the White House, along with other Democrats, are changes to work requirements for welfare. McCarthy says that both he and the president want to make a deal, even though they have to iron out final details. I think it was productive in the professionalism, the honesty with one another, and the desire to fight, try to find common ground. The speaker says that he and the president will meet until a deal is done. They're going to come back together, work through the night, and see if the president and I, um, look, we know the deadline. I think the president and I are going to talk every day to try to find until we get this done. All of this comes as squawking for the president to invoke the 14th Amendment comes from some progressive Democrats in Washington who do not want the president to make any deals that involve spending cuts with Republicans. 
Republican Senator Janie Vance from Ohio joins the Salem Radio Network and says that part of the problem with debt negotiations is that Senate Democrats will undermine whatever deal that comes out of meetings between Republicans and the president. This debt ceiling negotiation, one of the things that's really undercut Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, and the rest of the Republican leadership is they know Chuck Schumer is going to try to, to, to run into round whatever deal they negotiate with Joe Biden. We, we cannot have more leadership from Chuck Schumer. Vance also explains why he believes, should President Biden invoke the 14th Amendment, it would be a dark day for America. I don't think that it's possible. I think it would throw the country into full constitutional crisis because, of course, uh, Republicans in the House and Senate would fight it. Uh, the courts would ultimately have to weigh in, and it would be unclear what would actually happen. So I think it would be the worst thing for our economy. But more importantly, it, w- it would effectively be Joe Biden declaring himself king of America as, as opposed to president of the United States. Uh, it would be an absolute catastrophe. I don't think that he should do it. I don't think that he can do it. But look, when these guys get power, they, they think crazy thoughts, and I wouldn't rule them out trying, but we're going to have to fight it every step of the way. The, the thing that has happened in our country, of course, Bob, is the president has gotten more and more powerful. Congress has allowed itself to become weaker and weaker. And this would just become the ultimate apex of that. Uh, We really can't let it happen. If Congress can't even control the budget and the taxes, the purse strings of our country, uh, we effectively don't live in a republic anymore. We live in something very, very dark. McCarthy also says that staffers from the GOP Congressional Assembly and the White House will meet through the night to get a deal done. One of the nation's leading jurists laments the damage done by the COVID pandemic. Our Daybreak Insider in Washington, Rich Thomason, has more on this story. Stating that fear and the desire for safety are powerful forces, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch condemns the government's widespread exercise of emergency powers during the pandemic. He writes that we may have experienced the greatest intrusions on civil liberties in the peacetime history of this country. And it's not just the federal government. Gorsuch suggests that state lawmakers might profitably re-examine the proper scope of emergency executive powers. Rich Thomason reporting. Bud Light's woes keep coming for the embattled beer giant Anheuser-Busch. As reports have surfaced, the company has told wholesalers they will buy back unsold cases of beer that are past its expiration date. Let's take a look at Bud Light first, because they've been in the news so much. What was the nation's top-selling beer is now struggling in sales after teaming up with transgender TikTok influencer Dylan Mulvaney. A rumor's now swirling of a bunch of layoffs for the company. The brand is looking to make amends to its consumer base after teaming up with TikTok trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Anheuser-Busch plans to sponsor a veterans group for the first time and will also promote their beer along themes of football and country music. But it wasn't simply Bud Light's decision to team up with a transgender activist that set off the boycott that is still haunting their brand Two months later, it was how Bud Light handled the controversy, insulting their customers, calling them fratty and out of touch. 
Kevin O'Leary, a businessman and journalist, says that Bud Light is the blueprint on what not to do as a big business. Well, Bud Light um, has become the poster boy for brand mismanagement from multiple perspectives. So let, let me lay it out for you because th- these th- the discussions that have arisen and the narrative that's arisen around Bud Light is probably a good lesson for every CEO in every sector of the economy. Number one, it highlights the power of social media. This this issue went viral in 48 hours. And most often when an issue goes viral like that, it burns out in another 48 hours. But that's not what happened here. The story and narrative changed to sales. And so people that did not like the message, regardless of where you stand on these social issues or gender narrative or whatever, they took it out by basically boycotting the product mm. immediately yeah. and switching preference to other brands that did not make them get involved in this issue. O'Leary explains that brands should simply try to stay away from polarizing issues. This is worse than New Coke, Old Coke, and it's becoming its own story for the ages. I'll be teaching this one at Harvard. There's no question about it. Because you have to ask yourself, In crisis management, what do you do? Because if you go to the other side and try and balance the gender narrative, you're going to get a whole new onslaught of people that don't like that. So the lesson learned and what everybody should think about in every consumer product category, when you take polarized positions on any narrative, you are going to alienate 50% of your consumer 100% of the time. The fallout has led to two of the company's top marketing executives being put on leaves of absence. However, Bud Light isn't the only major brand facing a massive backlash over their support of LGBTQ plus identities. Reporter Kelsey Kernstein joins the Daybreak Insider and says that Target is now the focus of a new backlash. Everyone is talking about this as a highly contested debate on the internet right now. You got people that are fed up, but also in favor of what is happening. So June is Pride Month, and now some big chain stores are rolling out LGBTQ plus merchandise in support of Pride. So Target is the latest store to do this, but it is facing some major backlash. A controversial tweet making its rounds on the internet. Target is now selling tuck-friendly bathing suits. This swimwear is designed to hide male genitalia. Now, the suits are also available for babies and children, which some consumers condemn Target for selling. Other shirts read, queer, trans people will always exist, and live, laugh, lesbian. Now, some angry shoppers out there, they're calling for people to boycott Target, echoing similar statements to what we saw with Bud Light when the beer company aligned with a transgender model. However, hundreds of others people, they are in support of the bathing suits. Target has released a statement saying, in part, all items were designed for all bodies, regardless of gender identity and presentation. We understand that fit is incredibly important and will continue to evolve and improve on fit needs for the LGBTQIA community, end quote. More bad news for Democrats over President Biden's handling of the economy. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Bob Agnew. 
According to the latest Rasmussen Report's telephone and online survey, most American voters are concerned about the economy, and Republicans are making political gains as a result. The poll shows 88% of respondents concerned about the direction of the U.S. economy, including 60% who now describe themselves as very concerned. Despite Democrat efforts to play up improvements, worries about the economy have grown worse since December, and only 10% of respondents now say they're not concerned. Bob Agnew reporting. One of the greatest scores in NBA history has decided to call it a career. Daybreak Insider's sports correspondent Gethin Coolbaugh has more on the NBA saying goodbye to one of its greats. Anthony, who did not play in the NBA this season, retires as a top 10 scorer. The forward averaged 22.5 points and 6.2 rebounds in 1,260 NBA games with six teams. He ends his playing days after being selected as one of the NBA's 75 greatest players, a past scoring champion and six-time All-NBA selection. And finally, as inflation rages on and many households are finding ways to pinch pennies In order to scrape by, some businesses are finding a new way to put the squeeze on shoppers by asking for tips in self-checkout lanes. It is common, of course, to leave a tip when it comes to restaurants or the salon, but customers now voicing their frustration about tip requests at self-checkout machines. Self-checkout machines are popping up at stadiums, airports, and shops nationwide, asking customers who are already dealing with high prices to leave a tip. Employers say the gratuities help raise their workers' pay, even though it is optional. Customers are calling this tactic foul because they're not exactly sure what it is that they're tipping for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rachel Wolf is a reporter for the Wall Street Journal and says that companies are promising that the money given in tips will be given to their employees. The companies I spoke to said that the tips are going to employees, but tipping researchers aren't so sure. Mm. Machines don't have the same protections as tipped human employees. So while the law requires that something called a tip has to go to employees, when you're tipping a machine, you can't be quite so sure. Wolf points out that the consumers that she's spoken to are not happy with the idea of tipping a self-checkout machine. Shoppers are perplexed. Some of them are really angry. They say that tipping is everywhere and they're starting to get fatigued by seeing so many tip screens. They emphasize that they always tip for service. They recognize how important tips are to employee pay. Many people I spoke to have either worked in the service industry previously or still work in the service industry. These are not people who are stingy by any means. They are really skeptical of where these tips are going and they worry that companies are using this as like gotcha tactic. It feels like a bit of a scheme, they say. At the start of 2023, consumers already feeling the pinch felt more frustration as companies not only requested tips, but some businesses were asking for up to 30 percent. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com.
Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Thank you.